Thanks for uh, letting us to worship. And look, I do have to apologise uh, right up front. I'm very sorry for wearing the orange shirt. Oh, but a few people say, you're looking very orange today. So, sorry if I've um, um, glaring too much or uh, glowing too much. Sort of reflecting occupational health and safety, see the high-vis sort of wear. That's it, Dan, reflecting the glory of God. What did I think of that one? Okay, tell me, um, oh, before I get to there, uh, look, the yeah, prayer meeting is 6 o'clock. We have been at 5 o'clock the last couple of times, but there's another church group who meeting on Sunday afternoons, and they finish for around about 5, 5.30, so sort of wait for them to be out before we can sort of come back in. So uh, I'm gonna, I am going to catch up with them this week and see whether the next time we can um, perhaps just meet separately out there, and uh, we'll, then we'll get back to 5 o'clock. But today uh, we'll be 6 o'clock here, and we'll, we'll meet just in that lounge area out there and pray there uh, this evening. Um, tell me this, have you ever come across a bumper sticker like this? Christians are the happiest people on earth. Maybe you might have come across that or other ones. Christians are perfect, just forgiven. All those sorts of things we've seen on a whole range of stickers over the years. Sometimes, what's our reaction to that? We think that's a bit corny or a bit shallow or a bit sort of, you know, not you know, really hitting the mark. Would that make people cringe if they sort of saw those stickers? And what's that all about? And like I said, there's been a whole wide range of stickers over the years. But uh, there's actually a profound element of truth to what that sticker says. Christians are the happiest people on earth. We should be. Shouldn't be uh, communicated in a cringy, sort of a corny way, but it should be in a way that really does communicate that that's exactly how Jesus wants us to be. He wants us to be happy and joyful people. And this is exactly what we're going to see today as we look at John uh, chapter 7. We're going to see here that Jesus promises through the Holy Spirit that out of us will flow rivers of life. From out of our heart and out of our innermost being will flow, this, as it were, these rivers of life, rivers of uh, peace and joy as, uh, as Jesus just um, announces the coming of the Spirit and announces what the Holy Spirit will do with us. So if you've got your Bibles, let's go to uh, John chapter 7. And uh, we'll just pick up in verse 37 through to verse 39. And uh, Jesus says this, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were, were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Father, we want to give you thanks and praise for this uh, passage of Scripture here. We thank you that, Holy Spirit, you've inspired John the Apostle to write this. And uh, here we have Jesus talking about uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit and the rivers of life that will flow out of our lives, Lord, particularly in uh, peace and in joy. Uh, Lord, today I pray that you'll just help us to uh, think about this and uh, to let it work deep down in our hearts, just exactly what Jesus is pronouncing here. And that today, Lord, we are the beneficiaries of those who have believed in Christ to receive that Holy Spirit and to have that river of life, as it were, uh, flowing out of our lives. We ask for your help now, Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Jesus is continuing here on his mission of glorifying God uh, through the salvation of mankind through the cross. And he's, uh, again... 
just working his way towards this cross now. He's not very, probably within the last 12 months actually of, uh, of his life as the start of this um, incident here. As I read some of the commentaries this week, it said this is probably right in the last year of his life and the year of his ministry here upon this earth. And uh, as it were, we saw that at the start that he's at the Feast of Booths, or the great feast that said there was the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. It was probably the last one that Jesus uh, was going to experience. Uh, his life was remarkably short. For 30 years he remained in obscurity and then for three years he came out uh, on the mission of the gospel and then roughly at the age of 33 Jesus was crucified. So in this last year Jesus does continue to teach and display the glory of God and the goodness of God in coming to uh, rescue mankind and save them. And here we find Jesus at the Feast of Booths. That was right back in verse 2, it tells us here. Uh, again, this is sort of one chapter and uh, covers uh, one event, sort of over about two or three days. And as we said last week, John's very, very good at doing that. Uh, so this Feast of Booze was a, um, uh, a Jewish festival or a Jewish feast. And they were really, really big on festivals and feasts. They made uh, lots of uh, festivities out of this and great celebrations. And this Feast of Booze, or Feast of Tabernacles, depending how you might read it, uh, was certainly a significant feast for the Jewish uh, people of the day. Uh, this was a feast where they celebrated God's provision for the Israelites in the wilderness of Sinai. So for 40 years they wandered around the desert wilderness of Egypt as Moses led them out and led them to the Promised Land, but they spent 40 years at the word circling around uh, the desert of Sinai. And uh, for 40 years they put up and they pulled, pulled down their tents every day. Well, not every day, sometimes, but the, uh, God was either by fire at night or cloud by day. When the fire lifted off the tabernacle, that means it was time to move on and time to move to the next direction. They just followed wherever the fire or the cloud moved. Sometimes they might be there a few months, a few weeks, or a few days. But it was continually, put the tents up, pull the tents down. And as soon as the fire lifted, take your tents up and uh, let's go again. Uh, God also supplied through them every day uh, while they were in the wilderness manner. It was a provision of God through this wilderness time. Their food each day was the manna and also at the same time for three million people. That's about probably two-thirds of the population of uh, Melbourne. Uh, water for three million people uh, flowing through a wilderness desert area. Uh, miracles that we're seeing each and every day here that God was doing for them. So this Feast of Booths was a celebration for God's marvellous provisions. So what they would do was set up these temporary booths in Jerusalem. They would actually take palm branches and other types of branches off other types of trees and sort of make them into shelters reflecting on this is how we live. This is how our forefathers lived in these booths, in these sort of temporary shelters. Set them up and go in there and spend probably seven days here uh, for this uh, celebration of God's uh, goodness in their lives in providing for them and remembering what God had done for them way back there in the wilderness. Another part of the celebration also during the Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles is it would be a daily collection of water from the Pool of Siloam. It would be collected in gold jugs and then carried back to the temple and then it was poured out as an offering before God, again, of just remembering God's generous provision for them uh, in that time. So we're going to think about Jesus here. He's uh, watching this take place because it's over seven or so days here, this procession. And Jesus has been watching this for seven days. He's here and he's seeing this procession go every day. People are going into the booths. Um, other people are taking these golden jugs to the Pool of Siloam. They're picking up the water and then bringing it back to the temple and uh, pouring it out as an offering of worship before God and his goodness to them. So in some sense we've got to think about Jesus in this way. 
But as he's watching and looking at this, he's understanding that he was there as the Son of God. He was there with the um, Israelites as they wandered through the wilderness. So he's actually seen this remembrance take place. He's thinking, hey, I was there for that. And I can imagine also Jesus, this atmosphere is somewhat growing within him because it's a real vivid demonstration here of what uh, God did for them. So this is growing within him as well as he sees this daily procession. And in some sense I get the feeling here this realisation has grown to sort of large proportions within Jesus where he can no longer contain himself. He wants to sort of call out and, uh, and that's exactly what he does in those few verses that we just read. It's the last day of the feast. It's the culmination of a week long of watching all that has taken place. Each day the water is collected and poured out as an offering of God's provision in their lives. Jesus, as it were, cannot hold it in any longer. He rises up with a loud voice and he cries out. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsted him, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He rises up and he lets that out. I'm probably thinking at the time, many were thinking he's a madman. What on the earth is he doing saying this for, talking about this? Who gets up there and makes a spectacle of themselves like that in saying something like that? But today, us, for the benefit of hindsight, we can see exactly what Jesus was doing and what was signified when he rises up to cry that out amongst that celebration and amongst that feast. As John tells us at the end of that verse there, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit that as yet had not been given to them. And that's where we want to go this morning as we think about this passage, this tremendous gift that Jesus gives, the life of God working out through the soul of a person. To help us grasp that, I'd like us to see a little bit here the nature of the Holy Spirit as it's portrayed through the Bible. Because that will give us a picture here what Jesus is saying, it's about to come. Or as John the Apostle says for us, it's about to come. First of all, let's look at the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament to sort of get a feel here of how the Holy Spirit was working in and through all the Scriptures right throughout time. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, of the triune God. We talk about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That is uh, the Godhead, three in one. God is in three persons, yet God is one person. The Holy Spirit's always been upon the world since the beginning of time. Since the first breath of creation came out, the Holy Spirit has been there, but at the same time the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, has operated at different capacities or different ways across time from the beginning of time. And John, as it says there in verse 39, gives us that understanding because he says there towards the end, For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So there's a sense there of the Holy Spirit had not been poured out on all the people. The work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was to come upon certain people for certain tasks at certain times. Sometimes the Holy Spirit would remain upon somebody for the duration of their life. Sometimes it might remain upon a person for days, weeks. It depended on what God wanted to achieve and what God's purposes were at that time for why or how long the Holy Spirit remained upon somebody. Here's a couple of examples. Uh, Bezalel was a gifted... um, craftsman in the Old Testament. Here it says in Exodus 35, 31, 32. Bezalel, and he was filled with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold and silver and bronze. He 
he, God, gives a certain skill set for the purposes that God has for him to create things in the tabernacle. Just an impartation that God does on a particular um, person for a particular time. Here's another one, Judges 6.34. Uh, talking about Gideon. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abizarites were called out to follow him. Here again, the Holy Spirit comes upon Gideon for a certain time and a certain task for a certain purpose that God requires of Gideon to perform at that time. Anybody who did anything in the name of God did so in the power of God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in the Old Testament. The Old Testament. All the prophets of the Old Testament spoke and operated under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely no question about that at all. The Holy Spirit was, being, was only being used in a partial way upon men and women in those times. There's nothing wrong with that. That's exactly how God ordained it. And that's exactly how God purposed it to take place. And what we'll see of that is how remarkable it is for us today to think about that because we are privileged somewhat far more than what they were in having the, as it were, the fullness of the Holy Spirit placed upon us as believers. Let's bring it forward now to the New Testament as we see this here, getting the reflection of the Old Testament of certain people, certain times, certain purposes. The New Testament is a whole new ball game. It's totally different than what God has uh, called uh, for the Holy Spirit to do. And this is exactly precisely what Jesus is getting at when he stands up here and cries out, Come to me and drink. Come to me and drink. What has only been known in a partial way through the Old Testament now will operate in a whole new dimension. Totally new dimension. What's important to remember first that the Holy Spirit hasn't changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Nothing's changed in the, the powers of the Holy Spirit or what the Holy Spirit wants to do. God doesn't change in any way there at all. But the operation of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is to now come upon every believer and to remain upon him or her in an ongoing, night, in an ongoing way. Not a partial way for a certain period of time, but in an ongoing, continuous work that God does. The Holy Spirit is the operating power that changes at, at conversion and then remains with us for the duration of our lives in this ongoing sense or process of transformation and change upon us and within us. Jesus here begins perhaps to demonstrate this difference for us in Matthew 11, here between the Old Testament and the New Testament to give us a picture here of the work of the Holy Spirit. And he says this and he's talking about John the Baptist. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. You might think, what's Jesus talking about there? He just said John the Baptist is the greatest. None greater has arisen from him, but yet someone who's the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, referring to John the Baptist. John the Baptist is part of the Old Testament. Even though he's at the time of where Jesus is here, that's that transitional period, but he's part of the Old Testament. And Jesus is saying here, even though there's none greater than him, as in the person he was, anybody who experiences the kingdom or the new age of the Holy Spirit will be greater than John the Baptist. When Jesus says that, he means this. In other words, they will experience a deeper and a new level of the indwelling and the quickening work of the Holy Spirit within us. So John the Baptist represented the Old Testament. Yes, he was great. He was a mighty man of God who proclaimed the truth. But anybody who's in the New Testament age will experience a deeper level and a deeper understanding and a deeper work 
of the Holy Spirit within us. It's an amazing privilege that we have as believers in that sense. So it matters also we need to see that we're never without the Holy Spirit in our life. Continually with us wherever we are, wherever we, whatever we're doing. Paul tells us that in the Corinthians, he says that we are temples of the Holy Spirit in uh, chapter 619. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, you are not your own. For you were bought with a price, in case someone's thinking what was the next line over that one. It's an absolute miracle. It's an absolute miracle. But it's totally true. The empowering presence of God, the Holy Spirit, lives within me and lives within you if we are believers and trusting in Jesus Christ. The empowering presence of God dwells continually within us. Continually within us. It's the same spirit as the Old Testament, but it's operating in a different way in God's purposes. And Jesus is about to cry out. The Spirit is going to be poured out. Uh, the Spirit is going to pour out within you a river of blessing into your souls. This is what Jesus is saying. This is going to happen. With that background, let's try and now think about what the heart of the matter here is when Jesus says that about this pouring out rivers of life uh, through your being. Jesus says that again on uh, verse 37, 38, just to get it clear there. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow, flow not flow, flow rivers of living water. Again, I'm imagining Jesus here in Jerusalem watching this daily procession take place. There's been water carried out, poured out as an offering. Jesus is now one who stand up and shout out, I am here to give you the real thing. You're sort of recognising this in symbolism by the booze and by the carrying of the water. It's like Jesus saying, I want to tell you the real thing is coming. Not sort of the parcel that you've perhaps experienced in the Old Testament or what you're representing now through this whole uh, procession, but the real thing is coming. The Holy Spirit in a whole new dimension. You may have had touches or glimpses of the Holy Spirit in your life, but I'm here to usher in the new age of the Holy Spirit to totally and completely fill and transform our lives in this completely ongoing way. It's so important for us to get this in. It's so important for us to even think about this as well, that Christianity is an experiential life. It's an experiential life. It's something that we are meant to experience. This outpouring of the Holy Spirit working in and through our lives. Yes, the Gospel is built upon certain truths that are centred in and around Jesus Christ. No one denies that, no one disputes that at all. Our minds are filled with the truth of God, our Creator, and His Son Jesus. And there are many, many things we need to learn about the Gospel and keep on learning as our mind is transformed by the Gospel. But along with all this mental collection of truths, which is very good for our minds, it gives us strength and anchors us deeply into Christ, we are meant to also experience the life of God flowing out through us as his people, to experience God in a very, very real way. Often we forget that the Holy Spirit is a person. It's a person. Just as much as the Father or Jesus is a person, the Holy Spirit of God is a person. And the person of the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence within us, fellowshipping or communing with us. 
We've already seen this earlier on, a few weeks back, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about being born again. This is the work the Holy Spirit does when it comes upon somebody and begins to reveal the truth of the gospel, and begins to reveal who Jesus is and, and enables us to believe and follow him as our personal Lord and Saviour. This is the initial work of the Holy Spirit. It's a person who takes up residence within us, which probably begs the question, well, exactly where does the Holy Spirit take up residence within us? What does he inhabit? Paul said before that we are temples, we are like the building, and the Holy Spirit inhabits us. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. Where does he take up that residence? Where does he inhabit our lives? The Spirit takes up residence within my heart. And as we know, the Bible talks about the heart being the very control centre of our lives. The heart is where we uh, have the, our mind and our will and our emotions. It's the unseen aspect of who we are. You can't see my mind, you can't see my will, and you might see visual expressions of my emotions, but you may not see the emotions that are starting to run through my heart. And this is where the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us, not so much in my physical body as in my fingers or toes or somewhere else, but in the unseen aspect of who I am, my mind, my will and my emotions is where the Holy Spirit comes. And what does he do there? He beautifully renews our control centre of who we are. That's the element that controls what we do and how we live through life. The Holy Spirit comes in and renews that now so the life of God can flow out through us as followers of Jesus. The person of the Holy Spirit is now empowering you or I to live as Christ lives. This personal work that he does with each and every believer uh, who comes to Christ. First and foremost, how does the Holy Spirit um, commune or fellowship with us primarily? And first and foremost, the Holy Spirit relates to us through his word, through the Bible. This is where the Spirit, with clarity and complete confidence, uh, speaks into our lives. We open up the scriptures and we allow God's Spirit, as it were, uh, speak through that. And when I say speak, it's like we read and we think and we meditate and reflect upon that. And so then it's like the Holy Spirit begins to just open it up in our minds and deepen the truth that we read. So this is first and foremost where the Holy Spirit communes with us or fellowships with us is through the mind. It fills our minds with this transforming truth. But it doesn't end there as like a database, as we said before, collecting all this knowledge and storing it away in the hard drive of our minds. It doesn't end there at all. And the Holy Spirit doesn't want it to end there either in this big collection of information that's gathered up in our minds. This is not where it wants to be. No, from here, as Jesus is saying, from out of our hearts will flow a river of life. The Holy Spirit wants to now bring a demonstration of life in the Spirit lived out through our lives. A demonstration of the life of God living out through us. And this becomes the experience, or the experiential side of Spirit-filled living. Spirit-filled living as the Holy Spirit works out through us. And this is exactly what Jesus is promising here in this passage. It's the abundant, overflowing life of the Holy Spirit living in us and renewing our control centre and living out through us. This is the spiritual life that Jesus is now announcing will come. What does that look like? What should the spirit filled look like? Paul gives us a hint here in Romans chapter 14 where he talks about the kingdom of God. He says this is what the kingdom of God is. Verse 17 of Romans 14. 
For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but it's of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Here's a picture here of saying, this is what Paul's saying, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit and it's marked by righteousness, by peace and by joy. Now it really does go without saying here that Paul would say righteousness under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit because righteousness is holy living and that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. It brings us into holy living now as, as our control centre is being renewed. The Spirit is rescuing us daily from sinful living, sinful choices and sinful actions, daily, probably hourly, probably minute by minute sometimes. But notice also in this verse here that we are to experience peace and joy as marked uh, characteristics of the Kingdom of God now being lived out through our lives. The Spirit-filled life that Jesus is promising here is to know peace and joy as rivers of living water flowing out through us. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to produce within us in a life that's now being transformed into the image of Christ. Marked characteristics here of peace and joy. When the Spirit indwells us, empowers us, inhabits our control set, our mind, our will and our emotions, the Holy Spirit speaks peace into our lives in the most confusing of situations. This is the supernatural work that God does by His Spirit in and through our lives. In the middle of sometimes overwhelming, complex fears that seem like they are crushing us and seems like I'm really paralysed by it, where we are fearful to answer the next telephone calls because we're not sure who it's going to be, we're just dreading more bad news and anxiety can actually take hold of us, the Holy Spirit of God takes the truth of God's promises and speaks deep peace into my soul. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It comes in a way and actually uh, brings fear, not fear, brings peace, sorry, into our hearts and helps us to uh, drive that fear away. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the experience that God wants us to experience in this transforming work of the Holy Spirit as the rivers of life flow out through our hearts. The world we live in experiences deep fear. I imagine some of those people living in Melbourne now, particularly in those eastern suburbs, maybe even the western suburbs, they're probably fearful of home invasions. I'm imagining some people have put in all sorts of elaborate security systems and they've got, probably some have got 24-7 guards patrolling their houses at night because they're, they're living in fear of a home invasion of someone coming and um, doing some theft work in their house. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come and take the truth of God's promises and surround us with calm and quietness that allows him or her to sleep peacefully. Even in those places in Melbourne where home invasion be taking place, I'm not saying you'd leave the doors unlocked and just be completely irresponsible, but in the sense of we can trust in the sovereign God who only will allow what he chooses to allow into our lives. If God would choose to allow a home invasion, it will be for God's good purposes, even though we may not be able to see that at the time. But someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit from conversion and communion with the Spirit will be able to know and have that inner peace that God can bring despite that fear and despite that anxiety. 
Paul talks about this in Philippians as he writes his great letter to them. He says there in verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the peace that the Holy Spirit brings. It's the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. We can't sort of perhaps fully comprehend why I'm particularly peaceful because all of my outward circumstances may not be looking peaceful. But beyond this understanding, the peace of God that the Spirit brings um, places that within our hearts and we experience that peace in the most confusing of times. This is the work that the Holy Spirit does. We experience peace. As the Spirit-filled life also flows out of us, as we saw there in that Romans 14, 17, we also experience joy. Joy. Joy is one of the most life-sustaining things that we can have as people and one of the most glorious things that God wants us to be marked by or characterised by is joy. And this is exactly what Jesus is promising here through the gift of the Spirit, working in and through in renewing our control centre and renewing us from the inside out to produce joy. The joy that a believer feels sometimes is really unexplainable. Sometimes you just can't put rhyme or reason to it. It's inexpressible perhaps in some ways. I'm not sure how I'm feeling joyful, but I am joyful at this point in time. Uh, 1 Peter 1.8 says that. He's talking to believers here and he says, Though you've not seen him, or haven't seen Jesus, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. When Peter says that to these believers here, he's talking in the present tense. He's talking about now, the here and now, that you actually are rejoicing with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory in Christ Jesus. It's a joy here that Peter says that you are to express. It's a joy here that you are to experience. A joy right here, right now. It's inexpressible in the sense that I can't sort of fully explain why I feel joyful, but I feel joyful about the situation that I'm in. How can we sort of apply that or think about that? In, in my own experience, I think about this joy. And I guess what I've experienced myself, sometimes it's a joy that seems to free me from this world. Free me from the constraints of this world or free me from the pursuits of this world. It's a quiet joy that is within me that sort of uh, becomes an overwhelming sense of the joy in Jesus Christ and all that he's done for me. And it brings me to the point of feeling free of trying to chase after the things of this world um, that it offers me as a joy or a delight. Sometimes I've felt at total ease with whatever Jesus has brought my way, whatever it might be. With difficulty or with challenge, I felt at ease in the sense of the Spirit has made Jesus Christ so wonderful within me that at these times the things of this world haven't even gotten onto the radar of actually trying to disturb me as such. They might briefly take the wind out of my sails, but as I begin to steady myself in Christ, the Holy Spirit begins to um, grow this joy within, this inexpressible joy, and it begins to free me from chasing after the things of this world to provide joy or delight for me. There's nothing wrong with having joy or delight in the things of this world, but sometimes you won't always get the joy and delight you want from the things in this world because circumstances will be probably or quite possibly against you. 
But here's this joy that the Holy Spirit brings despite our circumstances and places deep within our heart. Here again, Paul sums it up for us in Philippians as he talks about uh, this uh, treasure that Christ has become for him. Philippians 3, 7, 8. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Paul saying everything I've accumulated in this world, everything that I've achieved, everything that I've actually worked for, everything that I may have earned, all the things this world has given to me, he says I've actually counted them as rubbish in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ as his Lord. Can you feel what Paul's saying there? Paul is not using some sort of mental um, sort of uh, compilation of facts here. He's actually feeling something in the way of Jesus Christ. He says, I have gained everything this world could possibly give me that I've been able to achieve. But he says, in knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, I count them as rubbish. Paul's giving us here an insight into this joy. This joy that frees us from thinking we have to find all of our joy here in this world. What Paul is saying there, there's a superior joy that the Holy Spirit brings and places within our lives that blows away the joys that this world may offer. They become nothing but more than mere shadows. And Jesus is saying here, with the gift of the Holy Spirit to come, it will flow out of your hearts like living water. The experiential life that Jesus Christ is talking about is vital for us. It really, really is vital that we experience Christ. I know it's always dangerous to say that because we sort of get, is it all out on experience, you know, but it's, it's anchored to the truth of what Christ has done for us in and through the gospel. It's really, really vital for us. Joy brings great health and vitality to our souls. It really does. And that's why Jesus wants to promise this joy through the Holy Spirit. Joy helps us to savour Christ, helps us to see the beauty and the wonder of Jesus in the middle of the most desperate of circumstances. This is the joy that uh, Jesus wants to see the Spirit bring into our lives, and it's vital. It's vital that we experience that joy. Another reason why Jesus wants, to ex- wants us to experience joy in the Holy Spirit is because joy makes the gospel attractive. It really, really does. Joy that's inspired by the Holy Spirit makes Jesus look great. Joy makes the gospel look really, really attractive. It really, really does. It makes Jesus look like a treasure. Christians should grieve and they should feel a suffering distress over sin and the brokenness of this world and all of its consequences. Yes, we do feel that. We do certainly feel the grief of pain. We feel the grief of loss. We feel the grief of someone did break into a house and, and uh, steal things. We would feel all that grief and pain. We should feel that. But more so, but more so, we should feel and display the joy that God wants to, us to experience and to display out through our lives. This is the inexpressible joy that comes in these most craziest of circumstances. Yes, someone could have invaded my home and they could have taken all of my stuff. But it doesn't matter at the end of the day because my life is not ultimately fixed here in this earth. 
My life is fixed in eternity with Christ. You can take everything you like from me. You can even take my earthly life from me. But you cannot take Jesus Christ away from me. The Holy Spirit works that deep into our minds, deep into our control centre, and then there's a joy that comes through as we think and meditate upon that. We should display joy. It's vital in the attraction of the Gospel. People outside this building should see a group of people that are truly joyful with the joy that the Holy Spirit brings. That's what people should see. They should see there's a joy, there's something we're experiencing in our life, and this is the joy that the Holy Spirit brings. I just wonder sometimes what they do see. I just wonder what sometimes what they do see about our lives. Is there a joy that's being made known through our lives? Are we making those choices to be thinking about what Christ has achieved for us and then to let that joy flow out of us? I think sometimes it would be really interesting if we set up a video camera, perhaps even of the service, just put up there above that and just filmed it. Then you all took a copy home that week and had a look. Sometimes it might be quite interesting if we saw how we looked and how we expressed ourselves out through a service. What's our body language saying? What's our sort of expression saying? Now I know everybody expresses it in different ways. Some people are very outwardly expressive in a joy and that's a great thing. Other people are a little bit more inward and that's alright as well but there should be some sort of evidence in varying degrees with all of us showing that what we've got on the inside is truly a treasure and actually I am joyful about this treasure. When other people see other people joyful, they ask themselves, what are they joyful about? If you see a group of people laughing somewhere, you think, hang on, they've got something that's really funny about What are they laughing about? I'm not saying we've all got to burst into laughter, everybody's going to rush up the street and say, what are these people laughing about? But is something attractive about joyfulness? What are they joyful about? What is making those people so happy or content? What have they got that enables them through the various seasons of life to be peaceful and joyful. What has that group of people got? How can they have a home invasion and actually be quite peaceful about that? How can they have everything perhaps taken away from them to some extent and they can still remain joyful? What is it that these people have? Can I tell you that the type of spiritual living flowing out of us like a river makes Jesus and his gospel look like a treasure that's nothing, like nothing else on this earth and people will be attracted to that. They will come to us and ask, what is the reason for the hope that lies within you that you would be joyful and peaceful through the challenges of life? Jesus says if you thirst, if you thirst, if you are dry and parched, and this world has left you high and dry. If this world has burnt you out in promising life and pursuing this and pursuing that, trying to fill your life with its joy and only finding out that it's delivering mere shadows of the reality, Jesus says, if that's you, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And if you believe in me, Jesus says, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. How do we do that? Just quickly to wrap up here. I would think this week it would be great if we took the time every day to ask and pray that the Holy Spirit would help me to exhibit joy, help me to feel that joy, Holy Spirit. This week I've got troubling circumstances, challenging things. Help me, Holy Spirit, to think about the truths of Christ. Help me to think about the joy that that should uh, well up within me and help me to 
Lord, be joyful and thankful for what you've done for me and to pray that prayer. Lord Jesus, please help me to uh, think about the gospel that you have uh, allowed yourself to be crucified upon that cross. You've taken my place. You've borne my sin upon yourself so that today I am free from the penalty of sin and I have a hope sealed in my heart that I will be with you for eternity. God, let joy well up in my heart out of that and let me somehow visibly express that joy and choose to make that life uh, with the power of the Holy Spirit a life that is marked by joy and peace. Jesus is saying the Spirit is coming and we can say today the Spirit has come and it now fills us with uh, rivers of living water to live this life of blessing and abundance and overflowing. Not so much in the earthly material possession of this world, but the abundant, overflowing work of God's Spirit flowing out through our lives. Let's pray. Father, today, thank you. Thank you for uh, your Son coming to this world. Thank you that, Jesus, you have brought in a whole new age of the Holy Spirit. Thank you today that we are amazingly privileged by the work of your Spirit to grow within us rivers of blessing, rivers of delight. This is an amazing miracle. Everyone who trusts in Christ and believes in him is filled with the Holy Spirit, inhabiting our mind and our will and our emotions. Well, these are all very powerful things in our lives and it's amazing how quickly emotions can begin to take over our lives. I pray today the Holy Spirit you would help us to channel these emotions and to use them to express, yes, sometimes grief over the sin in our own lives and the brokenness of this world and the consequences of sin in this world. But I pray, Holy Spirit, you would also help us to demonstrate the joy that you want to work in our hearts and our lives, the joy that you want to see as a visible expression of a community of people who have something that is totally different to what this world has. Help us today, Holy Spirit, in this. Help us to make those deliberate choices, to be thankful and to be joyful. And I pray that out of that, you would uh, produce great health and vitality in our souls. And I pray out of that, that you would make the gospel attractive in our lives. And I pray that out of that, you would create us opportunities where we could share this joy that we have, the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. Help us this week, we pray, Holy Spirit. Help us to appreciate the miracle that you are living inside of me that I have your empowering presence to help me to live out this life that you've called me to. And this is the will you have for my life as well. Father, today I do ask and do pray that. In uh, Jesus' name, amen. We're going to move to communion. I'm going to get um, Elliot and uh, Jamie. Do you want to hand out the communion elements for us? If you guys could do that. Jesus makes this life possible, makes the gift of the Holy Spirit possible, ultimately through the cross. Ultimately, this rivers of life flowing out through us becomes a possibility because of the reconciliation that God has made with us through the cross and through what Jesus has done. Jesus is on the way to Calvary. He's 12 months from being crucified to a Roman cross. And here he is calling out, hey... Come to me and believe and there will be rivers of life that will flow from your heart as the Holy Spirit enables that and brings that on. And what makes that possible is the death that Jesus dies for us. And today as we have these elements, as we have this... uh,
cup and this bread that's been passed around now, these become the very symbols of the life and the death of Jesus Christ. The life that flows through his blood that was given for us and poured out for us, and also the death of that blood being poured out upon the cross and uh, speaking forgiveness for our sins. the Spirit's going to come and he knows full well that the cross for him is only months away. Just take that cup and take that bread and just as you get it, just reflect quietly now as we, we think about the sacrifice that Jesus made to make this possible so that this river of life will flow out uh, through our souls and through our hearts. here to give thanks uh, for the, the bread and the cup, please. Just uh, take the bread and uh, take the cup and eat and drink. service next Friday at 10am here and a uh, service on Sunday and be thinking about who we can invite and uh, how we can show them the joy of the Lord as we uh, display the gospel out for our lives. Thank you.